So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. And why don't you guys stand with me? I want to just read through. We're just going to work our way through a, a short section of Scripture this morning. And uh, so let's, let's read this, or you can stand with me as I read it. It says this in Galatians chapter 2, starting verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification were through the law, then Christ died. For no purpose. Lord, this morning as we come to your word, we just pray, God, for that spirit of wisdom and revelation that only you give. Lord, that we would see uh, the beautiful things, the wonderful things that are in your word, because your word tells us that no eye has perceived or mind understood uh, a God besides you who bestows goodness on those who trust in him. And so, Lord, this morning we're looking unto you, we're looking unto Jesus. And we pray, God, that in our lives that we get clearer and clearer as we uh, go through this text this morning. So, Lord, bless it, we pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Okay, so if you're visiting here with us this morning, here for the first time, uh, watching with us online, we've been just working through this little letter to the Galatian churches, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. So you're jumping in part way. So probably it's good for us to get our bearings and make sure we get our sense of direction as we jump back into this letter to a group of churches, the Galatian churches. And what we've just read here are words of Paul that was in response. It was an answer that he was giving to a conflict that was unfolding in a church. Could you imagine something like that happening, conflict in a church? I know it might be hard to imagine, but churches, that tends to happen over the years and at various times. I'm thankful for the peace in our church. But in the early church, when we look back and we read the records of Scripture, we see that the two most prominent leaders in the early church were these two men, Peter and Paul. Peter was the leader among the disciples of Jesus. And from Pentecost, when you turn to the book of Acts and you read the book of Acts, you see this all the way from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 12, kind of the the key character in the story of church history is the apostle Peter. He's the main character. Paul had not been amongst the early followers of Jesus, as we've seen, as we know from Scripture. He was a rising star amongst a, a group of religious leaders called uh, the Pharisees, and he was an opponent of the gospel. He was an opponent of the church. He was against Jesus himself until he met Jesus in that famous encounter onto the road, on the road to Damascus. And in the book of Acts, when you turn to it from Acts chapter 13 through to the end, basically the second half of it, you discover this, that Paul is kind of the main character 
in the story of church history. So you've got these two guys, Peter and Paul. Both were Jewish, as we've just read here in this text. In fact, Peter's ministry was primarily to Jewish Christians because he was based out of the city of Jerusalem. And Paul's message was primarily to Gentile Christians because he lived in the city in Syria called Antioch. And so both men are Jewish. They both preach the same gospel, the gospel of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. The message taught both to Jews and to Gentiles that no one can be right before God by their own efforts. No one can be right before God by their adherence to law or by their practice of religion. The message that they preached was that a person can only be right before God by placing their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so both men, uh, Jewish, kind of grew up different lives, but both of them in their upbringing had this very uh, fastidious, fussy practice that we call kosher eating of how they would eat meals. And this actually comes into play here in what we're reading about. Both these men had ate kosher before Jesus. That involves certain practices of cleanliness, right? Certain foods that were considered clean or unclean. You didn't just use any plate, you know. You didn't, you know, pick up a spoon off the, you know, off the side of the road and incorporate that into your kitchen or anything like that. You followed the law of God and you were fussy and fastidious and religious about your eating habits. In their minds, for Peter and Paul, before meeting Jesus, sitting at a table to have dinner with a Gentile was the equivalent of actually eating with a sinner. This was part of the nature of following the law. And when you read Old Testament law, you know this, that if you're familiar with the Bible, when you turn to the pages of Old, Old, Old Testament, it's very laborious, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work. But the Jewish people didn't consider it labor. They didn't consider it toil or drudgery. They considered it a privilege of being the chosen people of God. So when Jesus came and the gospel came and the gospel was proclaimed, the good news of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom lifted off of those who put their faith in Jesus, the onus and the responsibility of the law because the gospel proclaimed a message of God's grace, God's unmerited favor. The gospel taught that you can't work your way into the good book. You can't work your way into God's favor by your efforts because you cannot live up to the demands of God's law. Salvation is by repentance of sin and faith in Christ Jesus. And Jesus taught this, as we know from the Gospels. He taught this, no, 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 it's not what goes into the body that defiles a person. It's not about the food that you eat or the plates that you handle or the people that you eat with. Food isn't the issue. It's what comes out of your life that's the problem. It's your heart. Food's not the issue. Your heart is the in issue. The uncleanliness inside sin. And we know this, that our hearts can't be transformed even by the strictest adherence to law. I can't change my heart. The heart has to be transformed by the power of God. And the power to transform us 
happens in Jesus Christ when we repent of sin and we put our faith in the Lord Jesus. So faith in Jesus was transformational for Paul. It was transformational for Peter. It was transformational for the Jewish men and women who put their trust in Jesus. But it took time to shake out of the traditions of their people. Jesus transformed Jewish religious practices because not just Jews were coming to faith in Jesus, as we know from the New Testament. Gentiles were trusting in him. And Jews had one way of eating. Gentiles had another way of eating. They had very different habits and practices of what they ate, whom they would sit with, whom they would share a meal with. And this had to work itself out in the early church so that Jews and Gentiles could come together in the worship of the Lord Jesus by faith. And the church was formed. And the Lord really used Peter in this matter. That's what the book of Acts tells us. Peter had a vision from the Lord. He was the first of the apostles to preach the gospel to Gentiles. He was the first of the apostles to eat with Gentiles. The first to see Gentiles come to faith. The first to see Gentiles filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you've got these two men, and and just based on geography, because Peter is in Jerusalem and Paul's in Antioch, Peter's ministry was primarily to Jews and And Paul's ministry was primarily among the Gentiles. So what we read about here is this situation where Peter comes to the Gentile city of Antioch to visit the Apostle Paul. Uh, Even though the church was full of Gentiles, even though Peter himself had been free from living according to kosher laws for many years, when he got to Antioch, he began to feel a lot of pressure from people. He felt a lot of pressure from some of the Jews present. And so Peter began to separate himself from his Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ. He stopped eating with Gentile believers, only eating with Jewish brethren, only following and eating according to kosher laws. And Peter had a a lot of influence. So people began to follow Peter in this practice. In fact, one of the leaders in the church There in Antioch, a man by the name of Barnabas, who had been a leader there for many years, began to follow Peter in this practice. And Paul saw what was going on. And he didn't like it. And he didn't participate. He saw it was wrong. He knew. He knew it was wrong, and he knew that Peter knew it was wrong. So Paul confronts Peter to his face, and what's amazing is he does it in front of everyone, okay? This isn't like, you know, the confrontation wasn't a one-on-one thing. Paul didn't say, hey, hey, Peter, let's go grab a coffee over at the beachcomber. I need to talk to you about something, okay? This isn't how this went down quietly and privately. No, no, no. This was a very public confrontation of the apostle Peter face-to-face. It was a big deal. This wasn't just a matter of Jewish tradition or religious law. This was about the purity of the gospel message, the gospel of grace. This was not a matter for private correction. It was a matter for public rebuke. So it went down in front of them all because what was going on didn't just involve Peter. It involved a number of people, and Peter was the ringleader caving to the pressure of the legalists and the impact of what was happening was this, a denial of the gospel of grace. It had to be confronted. 
It had to be public. And I think about this, you know, as we read this story in, in Galatians, it's really a really valuable account of church history that the Holy Spirit saw fit to document for our sakes. Because there are matters of doctrine, church, that are closed-handed things. Meaning this, it's, it's, we have to be willing to contend for these things. We don't let go of them. When I say closed-handed, I mean there are matters of doctrine that are not up for discussion, upon which we will not cave, that we will defend in light of those who would twist or pervert or compromise. And amazingly, this is amazing, even Peter got it wrong and he needed to be confronted, you know? I might get it wrong at some point in my life and need to be confronted. You might get it wrong and need to be confronted. And Paul was uh, confronting him because Peter was not being true to the gospel. He was not being true to Jesus, and he needed to be confronted. So Paul said to him, look again at verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul said to him, Peter, what are you doing, man? You're slipping back into old Jewish habits and you're betraying the truth, the issue at hand is, will you be justified by works of the law or will you be justified by faith? And this discussion of justified by works of the law or justified by faith is foundational to the message of the gospel. And in fact, this is the first time that Paul uses this word that I want to point out to you. You might want to circle it in those two verses. It's the word justified. Right there in those two verses that we read, he said justified three times. And that's a pretty church, that's a churchy word, isn't it? You know, when you hear the word justified, you're like, that's a, what does that mean? What's that all about? And so it's good for us to discuss what it means because it's important. It's an important word to not go, oh, that's churchy, shove it off to the side. No, it's important that we apply ourselves and try to understand what it means. Justified in this sense is a, a legal term that has to do with something that happens between you and God. Like, think about it this way. If a judge says to an accused, they're condemned, we know what that means. When you're condemned, it means you've been found guilty and you're, you're going to be sentenced to be punished. To be justified is to be found in the exact opposite position of being condemned. When you're justified, it means you're proven Right, like, let me give you an example. Your employer comes to you. Maybe, you know, they say to you, I see you had an expense here. You spent this money on this project that we were doing. And we need to know, you know, what was the process you went through for the expenditure of this money so that we would understand why the money was spent and, and know, is this a justifiable action? Were we justified in the workplace to spend this money? And if you can justify the action, you're proven right. Or let's say you pull into the dock at the marina and the DFO is there. And uh, he sees you've got some fish in your boat. What's he going to do? He's going to ask you some questions. Can I see your fishing license? 
Oh, what zone were you in? What region were you in? He's going to ask you about what you were fishing and how you were fishing, and he's going to make sure that you were in compliance with the law and make sure those fish are a justifiable catch and not illegal. And the matter at hand between Peter and Paul is this. How can a person, how can a man or woman be found justified before God? Be found right before God. How can we be right before Him? Peter and Paul were Jews. And Paul said to Peter, we know this because we're Jewish. We know a person cannot be justified by the law. Justified by works of the law. You know, if there's ever been in the history of the world a nation of people who have demonstrated inability, try as much as they like to be justified by works of the law, it is the people of Israel. And the Old Testament accounts that history for us. God gave to them the law. They were given moral laws. They were given ceremonial laws. They were given judicial laws. They were given laws upon laws upon laws. Laws that were to govern their relationship with God, laws that were to govern their relationships with one another. And if they obeyed the law, they would be justified before God. The problem was no one could obey the law. No one. The problem is that whatever constraints the law puts on a person, as much as you discipline yourself to obey law, you'll never be able to color inside the lines. Because as Jesus said, it's not the constraints on the outside It's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean. It's what comes out of a man. It's what comes out of a person that condemns him. You know, no matter how strict I am with myself, no matter all the rules and the laws I heap upon myself, I've just found this, and I know you have found it too, I just can't constrain what's in my heart. The anger, uh, the lust, the, the greed, the murderous thoughts, the treacherous thoughts, the covetous desires, and the works of the law are just powerless to deal with the human heart. You know, you can actually, the Bible says this, that you can obey the law at every single point, but if you break it at one, you are found a lawbreaker, a sinner condemned to death. And Paul said this about himself. He had practiced such strict adherence to Jewish law, to biblical law, that he said he could count himself righteous except for one thing. His heart was so full of covetousness. He could not restrain the greed of his own heart. He could conform the outside to all the religion, but he didn't have the power to transform the inside. And on the basis of the law, He just simply was not a transformed man. He was just religious. He was just religious. A religious man who conformed to the tradition of his people. And we know this is not just a problem for Paul or for Peter or for the Jews. This is the problem for every single one of us, isn't it? It's the problem not only for every single one of us, it's the problem with every religion. That's why I would tell you I don't count myself a religious person. This is the fundamental problem with religion. Try, 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 try as hard as you might like. Outward conformity to religious rules will not transform your heart and will not justify you before God. Adhere to the rules as much as you want. 
restrict your diet, practice silence, meditation, be really controlled about the things that you speak, offer sacrifices, reject the system of this world, seek out spiritual experiences, conform to all the religious rules that you can heap upon yourself, and before God, you will be condemned. Because the Word of God says in John 3, 36, that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God will remain on him. No one is justified by the law. Paul said to Peter, Peter, we're Jews. We know this. Like, we're supposed to know this stuff, dude. We know this. We've already tried to live this kind of life. And then we met Jesus. And we discovered what it means to be justified by faith. See, this is the alternative to the works of the law. Faith. Faith is not burdensome, is it? Faith is a life of liberty. Faith is a life of freedom in Christ. You see, Jesus came into the world and Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. I can't keep the law of God, but Jesus did keep the law of God. His obedience to the Father was perfect. And in his death on the cross, he suffered for my disobedience. He suffered for your disobedience. I'm the lawbreaker. I am the sinner. And Jesus lived the perfect life in obedience to the Father. And he was without sin. He died on the cross for our sin. He paid the penalty of our disobedience. Because the penalty for disobedience, the Bible says, is death. And there is only one way to be justified before God. Only one way. We acknowledge our sin. We say, Lord, I, I broke the law. I'm powerless to be obedient. I can't deal with the stuff that's in my heart. And I repent, which means this. I'm going to stop trying to justify myself. I'm going to stop all these works in my own strength. I'm going to turn from sin. I'm going to repent of my self-righteousness. I'm going to turn away from preaching me, 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 myself, 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 the self-focused life. And I'll turn from sin and I'll put my trust in the Lord Jesus. I'll put my faith in Jesus. This is the gospel, church. You take the weight of your life and you lay it on Jesus. Completely. Again, in verse 16, Paul says this. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, justified by faith, this is so much more than some intellectual, theological doctrine. It's more than some cerebral, rational conclusion. It is an act of personal faith and commitment. Your faith is in Jesus, Paul says. Just like a ship caught in a raging storm. You take your ship into the harbor for safety. You run to the strong tower for refuge. You take refuge in Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus, look at Jesus is the hiding place. Jesus is sanctuary. Jesus is shelter, our safe house, our safe haven. When you take refuge in Christ, the gospel declares this, the word of God declares this, that then you are justified before God. You're found right. And so Paul said to Peter, brother, what are you doing? 
What are you doing going back to religious laws about kosher foods and not eating with your Gentile brothers and sisters? Peter, we know a man is not justified by works of the law, by foods and this and that, but by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said this, this is something we know. Head and, and we know in our hearts, Peter. It's not up for discussion. This is not an issue we waver on. A man cannot be justified by works of the law, only by faith in Jesus. And on this truth, the church has to be absolutely dogmatic. We're closed-handed. Peter and Paul knew this by experience. They even tried to keep the commandments. They couldn't do it. They had no peace. Their consciences weren't clear. They didn't have an experience with the love of God. They didn't know liberty and freedom. They were afraid of God because, like all of us, they had areas where they failed as much as they tried. By the works of the law, no one will be justified. This is what Paul preached to the Gentiles. This is what Peter preached to the Gentiles. Now it says this in verse 17. He goes on. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. It's a little bit of a wordy verse. It's kind of a, a little strange, not the easiest to understand. I like it from the New Living. It says this in the New Living. It'll be on the screen. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ led us to sin? Absolutely not. This is what was going on with Peter. Peter had been made right before the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. But certain people, when they came around, Peter started feeling guilty. You know, they just, they just heaped guilt upon him, even though he was trusting in Jesus. And they heaped guilt upon him because they said, look at Peter, eating with those Gentiles again, baking on everything. What is going on with that guy? And before God, he wasn't guilty. Yeah, bacon on everything. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Before God, he wasn't guilty. He was a justified man. Before, but before men, he felt guilty. He felt guilty before men because he had abandoned kosher laws. And Paul says to him, Peter, do you think as your actions are suggesting, Peter, your actions are suggesting something. Your, your actions are suggesting that Jesus led you into sin because you set aside kosher laws. You put your faith in Jesus and you set aside the kosher laws and now you're actually by participating in, in the saying that Jesus led you to sin against the law. That's what your actions say. That you were in sin because you weren't kosher. But you weren't kosher, Peter. The reason why you weren't kosher is because you gave up trying to be justified by laws. You put your faith in Jesus. So he asked this question, has Christ led us to sin because we don't follow law? To which Paul says, no way. Absolutely not. Certainly not. Like in the church, we say this, when we agree with something, what's the word we use? We say, Amen. And the word amen just means so be it. It's a statement of agreement. And so when Peter, or sorry, when Paul asks this question, he says, has Jesus led us to sin because we don't live by the law? And Paul says, 
To that I will not say amen. I won't. This is the danger for those who have, this is always the danger for those who have faith in Christ. Because the default position of the human heart is always towards religion. Don't you find that in your own soul? Add rules, add works, create religious structures, create the ritual structures. But the Word of God tells us, and the letter to the Galatians reminds us, we're justified by faith. We'll always be tempted to add to the faith. And we have to guard our hearts from perverting the simplicity of the gospel message. I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, that says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. That never changes. When you're Christ, you have to guard your heart and make sure that you're not adding to Jesus, adding to Christ. Because Paul says in verse 18, For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. See, Peter wasn't making a statement about Christ by his actions. By going and participating in the kosher laws again, he wasn't saying something about Jesus. He was saying something about himself. He was proving he was a transgressor. He was proving that he himself, apart from Jesus, was a sinner. Jesus had not led him to sin. Jesus had not led him back to kosher laws. If I proclaim Christ and then I go out and sin, I sin. I sin. It's my fault, not Christ's. I have no one to blame but myself. So when we build structures of religion or add works and rules and regulations, it's not because Christ has asked us to do so. If we do such things, we're only proving the fact that we are sinners, Paul says. That's what the law does. It's a mirror. It shows you what's going on in your heart. And when you build rules and regulations and structures and rituals and religion, you're just showing what's actually going on in your own heart. When we add laws to Jesus, we're emphasizing this point. It's an exclamation mark. And those Jewish false teachers that Paul was dealing with in the Galatian churches had been teaching that if you preach, if you preach like Paul does, justification by faith alone, you're going to encourage people to sin. Like if you just preach grace, people are going to sin. You're preaching that it's okay to keep on sinning after you trust Jesus if you preach grace. And so their practice was this. No, you got to add rules. You got to teach the gospel, but then add rules to people. So you can't do this, and you can't do this, and you can't eat with this person. You can't do this, and you can't do that. And I would tell you this, that this is a deep misunderstanding of the gospel. It's a misunderstanding of grace. It's a misunderstanding of justification. When we preach and teach justification by faith, let me tell you this. This is not some innocuous doctrine. It's not a cute illustration. It's not some weak metaphor of salvation. Justification uh, by faith is not just a figure of speech or some form of Christianese. Justification is not simply a picture of what happens to you when you trust in Jesus. Listen to this. I like what John Stott said. He said this, Justification is not legal fiction in which a man's status is changed while his character is left untouched. Listen, 
when Christ justifies you, let me tell you something, you are justified. You are justified. In the courts of heaven, before Almighty God, the sentence of condemnation against you, the sentence of guilt is stayed, and you are justified because of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, picture in your mind, the Father seated in the position of a judge, seated in heaven, and you yourself positioned in the seat of the accused. And on the basis of the law, the Bible tells us, you are condemned, but Christ is standing between uh, the law and, and God. Christ is standing between the Father and you, and He is saying to the Father, I have justified Him. I have justified her. Jesus says, I have been united in, into the life of that person by faith, and they are justified. Church, because you are in Christ, He is your refuge. Because you are in Christ, He is your strong tower. He is your home. He is the harbor in which you take refuge. And you, because you have placed your faith in Jesus, let me tell you, you will simply never be the same again. Isn't that true? Amen. Because you are born again. And you are born of the Spirit when you trust in the Lord Jesus. It's not just your status that has changed. Let me tell you this. It's not just your status that changed before God. The Word of God says you have been changed. Praise God. You're not the same person. The Bible says the old has passed and the new has come. And because of grace, because of Jesus, because of justification by faith, Going back to the old way of life, it's not even an option, is it? It's not even an option. To go back and sin the way you used to, you remember how you used to love sin? To go back and sin the way that you used to, to go back and take pleasure in sin in the way that you used to, you just can't. It's impossible when you meet Jesus. You're a new creation. The transformation is so radical the transformation that has happened in you is so radical, whether you realize it or not. Uh, Paul says, the only way I can explain this is to talk about dying and being raised from the dead. Death and resurrection. Look at verse 19. He says, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the key to the life of victory as you walk with the Lord Jesus. Because, because of Christ, the transformation that's happened in you is so radical that your nature has actually changed. A different spirit has come and dwelt you. The Holy Spirit. And Paul says, you actually died with Christ and you were raised to life with Him. The old man is dead and the new man is alive in Christ Jesus. When you placed your faith in Jesus, the work was so comprehensive and it was so complete that you have actually been united into Christ in His death and His resurrection. The law demanded that you died. It demanded that you die because you're a lawbreaker, but the demand that you die was satisfied by Jesus so that you could live unto God. Your life served death. 
Your life served sin. But now, church, you live to God. You live unto the Lord Jesus. You were crucified with Christ. Your sinful life was united to his perfect life, and he has paid the penalty, and he gives you life. This means this, the life that's in you, it's from Him. The peace that's in you, it's from Him. The peace in your heart, it's from Him. The peace in your mind, it's from Him. That sense of hope, you know that hope you have? It's from Him. The desire not to serve sin, do you know that comes from Him? It comes from Him that you don't want to serve sin. The hunger for righteousness to actually do what's right before God. Do you know where that comes from? It comes from Him. Okay? Your desire for the Word of God, do you know where that comes from? Him. Your desire when you're in trouble to get down on your knees and pray and say, God, help me. Do you know where that desire comes from? It comes from Him. Your desire to share the gospel with the lost, do you know where that comes from? It comes from Him. The joy that you have when you gather with God's people to hear the word of God taught, to fellowship with one another and sing praises to King Jesus. Do you know where that comes from, that joy? It comes from Him. The desire for Jesus to come again, do you know where that comes from? It comes from Him. The longing for heaven, do you know where that comes from? It comes from Him. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It's no longer I who live, church. Jesus lives in us. And this means this. I mean, it has pr- practical things in our life. It means this, that a, a person justified by God is just not free to sin. I just not free to continue in sin. Do you understand why? Because you've been born again. Because life is Him. You've been united to Christ by faith. And this is why Paul had to very publicly rebuke his friend Peter. So Peter, this is not a matter of privacy. This is contending for the faith. This is contending for the gospel. Peter, I have to rebuke you publicly. You can't go back to the law, Peter. Peter's influence was so massive. Returning to kosher practices was returning to the law, and it was to deny this justification by faith, and it would have devastated all of church history. See, the life that is in Christ is such a deep reality that there's just no going back. Is there like the old hymn, no turning back, no turning back? And I'm not saying life's going to be perfect. (laughs) I haven't discovered the perfect life. I'm not saying that you will never sin. I'm not saying that you won't have battles with temptation or you won't uh, experience suffering. But I will say this, sin is not your master and you don't serve religious laws. You serve a person. You have a Lord. You have a Lord. You have made a confession. Jesus Christ is Lord and that makes everything different. Amen? Amen. I mean, remember... You used to be the Lord of your own life. You used to do what you want, when you want, with who you want. And now Jesus is your Lord. And you offer yourself to Him. John Stott said something else I thought was so good. Be on the screen. He said this. No Christian who has grasped these truths could ever seriously contemplate 
reverting to the old life. If this stuff with regards to your identity and Jesus grasps your heart, you'll never want the old life. Look what Paul says in verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He said, I don't nullify the grace of God. This was Paul's practice. He said, my practice is this. I will not nullify God's grace in my life by trying to be righteous. Heaping rules and religion and rituals. Because if I try to live like that, it's like suggesting that the cross isn't enough. It's like suggesting that Jesus' death was of little effect, that there's no power in the death and resurrection. If I go back to the law, it's to say Christ died for no purpose because the cross isn't enough and I have to add to it. And that is false. The Bible tells us that Christ died to set us free, to set men and women free, and that they should die to sin and live to God. And human beings, uh, we're just inherently religious. And we abuse religion in an attempt to work ourselves into the favor of God, trying to win our way into the good book, trying to win our way to God, trying to win our way to heaven. And humans think that that's noble, but the gospel declares it's not noble. It's not noble. It's an offense to your Father who offers you grace. It's an offense to the Father who longs to be gracious to you. It's an offense to the Father who offers grace to you through His Son who died on the cross and was raised to life. When you are striving, you are making the cross and the death of Jesus of no effect. And so church, I want to tell you this morning, quit striving and just start relying. Quit striving and start relying. Fall on Christ. Surrender to Christ Be dependent upon grace. And with this, you will find this, the Father is pleased. This pleases the Father. And you'll be justified when you just say, I'm trusting in Jesus. We all know this. And in our battles against sin and against different things that have gripped our lives, it's just like trying harder doesn't work, does it? But casting our lives upon Jesus does. God, by your grace. And this is what the gospel is all about. Let me close here if you don't know the gospel. The gospel is about our need to be pleasing to God. It's about our need to be accepted by God. And the question is this, how can I please God? How can I be acceptable to God? And the bad news of the gospel, it does have a bad news part to it. The bad news is this, that human works and religion is offensive to God. Your striving and your trying offends Him and it will not satisfy Him. So any sense of trusting yourself, fixing yourself, is not going to work. The good news is this. Christ came. He lived the perfect life. He went to the cross on your behalf. He died in your place and He was raised from the dead. And to trust in Christ is to receive the unmerited favor of God. It is to receive the grace of God. It is to be united with God. He is the vine. 
and you are the branch. And the Word of God says this, if you have trusted in Christ before God, you are justified. You're right. And more than that, you died. You were raised to life, and you no longer live. Christ lives in you by faith.